Hello readers and welcome back to the Humans of Ransom Everyday podcast with your hosts Annika and Emma. So today we're here with a very special guest, Miss Bloomfield. Miss Bloomfield, why don't you tell us about what you teach and how long you've been at Ransom? Sure. Um, I teach three different classes right now. I teach World Civilizations to the ninth grade. I teach um, two junior-senior electives. One is Living Religions, and one is um, U.S. Government. And this is my 17th year at Ransom, and it's my 22nd year of teaching. Yeah, can't believe it. (laughs) So everyone loves your Living Religions class that I've ever talked to. (laughs) And we want to know, like, what... Tell us a little bit about the class A, and mm-hmm. then tell us like what inspired you to teach that class, because mm-hmm. you're the only one that teaches it. Yes, and I actually proposed the class. Um, it didn't exist about nine years ago, I think I proposed it. Um, so Living Religions, it's a survey of world religions, but what I try and do is not have it be solely you know, textbook, this is what you need to know about Hinduism, this is what you need to know about Buddhism, this is what you need to know about Islam, et cetera, et cetera. But rather, the course name, Living Religions, really explains it all. It's about how people are living these religions. So the goal, and it's been a little bit trickier with COVID, but the goal is through interviews, through field trips, that the students actively engage in people with people who are practicing these religions. And then our own religions, too. You know, the student body here attends a majority Christian and Jewish, but it's important that, you know, we learn about the religions that are less represented. And so, I don't know, I felt like it was something that was missing at this school. We didn't have the course. I took I did a seminar in New York City, a three week seminar where I engaged in various religions and um, then brought it back to ransom. And is there a personal connection you have to your world religion class or religion in general that inspired you to create this class? Oh, a good question. Um, I've always been fascinated by religion. I You know, personally, I am Jewish. That's my background. But I've always been very interested in other religions, Um, particularly, I think, just prior to starting this course, I started to become very interested in Buddhism in particular. And so that might be part of it. Um, I don't know. I've always found religion fascinating and just interesting, the differences, right, within religions, right? Why some are dogmatic, right? Some religions, you know, people have to believe this in order to get to this place. And other religions, usually more Eastern religions, are much more, um, more about way of ways of living. So I think I was sort of attracted to more Eastern religions at the time when I started the course, I wanted to know more about particularly Buddhism. I think that's so important, especially taking a class right now, like I'm taking a push and it's very rigorous. So we can't really go into depth about the people that we're learning about, aside from obvious colonizers in Europe. So I think it's good that we have a class at Ransom now that highlights, as you said, Eastern religions, because honestly, I am ashamed at like the amount of knowledge I have on Eastern Mm -hmm. religions. Obviously, the only real knowledge I have is what I 
read or what I learned from your mm-hmm. class when I took you as a world civ teacher, right. which I actually noticed a difference in your teaching method versus other students mm-hmm. that I've heard about in terms of when we talked about Buddhism, we mm-hmm. covered that pretty extensively. And I always sort of noticed how passionate you were about these religions. Mm-hmm. And I also remember you saying, I, I wish I could go more into depth. I There was a survey done of, of just Americans in general. And there's a huge lack of knowledge of religion, particularly Eastern religions. So I guess to kind of switch gears a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you about your World Civ class. What is your mm-hmm. favorite time period or topic to teach in that class? Or you can give us a few. Yeah, I mean, I, I truthfully like when we finally get to the 20th century. <laughs> and I would say my favorite topic is actually the second to last unit which is about communism. And we do a comparison of the development of communism in the Soviet Union versus in China. And I don't know, I love that unit. You know, I I was a political science major. My background, um, I love the world religions class, but my background really is in political science and, you know, foreign policy, et cetera. So to me, I don't know that class to me, I mean, that unit to me is, the most interesting because we get to talk about government and economic systems. And, you know, I get to refer to things that I learned about when I was in college. And I think it's really important because a lot of the times I think that people can make a lot of generalizations about both China and Russia during that time period. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to know like Mm -hmm. the differences in the Right, and the fact you know, you know, the question is China actually still communist today, right? We always have that discussion. Yes, politically it's authoritarian, but economically it's not. So those are the, you know, you could probably see it in my eyes. I get a little bit of a spark when we get to talk about, you know, comparative politics. Yeah, I remember that was my favorite unit that we taught to because. I mean, what I really enjoyed about your class is like the discussions we had. I thought you were really engaging with students. And and um, I definitely learned a lot from what I remember in that unit, the idea of Red Scare and how through the education system, the U.S. did alter the citizens' view of communism to like eradicate it. And I think more than ever now, we sort of realize like how important giving the future generation true information is. Absolutely. So I guess in a way, you are sort of combating the Red Scare, and you definitely did for me. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'd like to combat, you know, misinformation, that's for sure. I mean, I do think we, we certainly need to, the goal is to find the truth, right? And, and what I teach my World Civ students is we have to look at multiple perspectives in order to get to the truth, right? Um, being able to sort through sources and know, you know, what is the truth? What is the evidence that they're using to back up, you know, particular claims? Another thing I remember from your class was that when we were in your class, that was like during the time of vaccine rollout. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I certainly remember some discussions of misinformation that certain students brought up. And yeah. I, obviously in jokes. Yes. Um, but I remember that class specifically did make me realize how important it is to give people the right amount of information mm-hmm. and like what's right and what's wrong. And I certainly think you did a good job doing that and correcting students when they yeah, projected. Even, because even when they're joking, they may be joking and they might know that, you know, the vaccine, you know, you're not injecting a, 
Right? They might know that, but they're joking around. But somebody else in the room might not know that's a joke. And that's a problem, right? That's how, you know, and and there are serious consequences for misinformation. Yeah. So on another note, I guess we could switch into what did you like what inspired you to go into political study like that in college? What sparked that interest for you? Well, growing up, my family was always, always talking about politics, right? Um, and so we, oh, we were always engaged in discussions about what's going on in current events. And the direction I was actually going in was law school. Um, I think my parents really, especially my mom, wanted me to be a lawyer. So it was really more her plan. And I actually did apply to law school. Um, and I got in and I deferred for a year. But my passion really was more about teaching. I I remember one year, my senior year in high school, the teacher asked me to be a discussion leader. I think we were discussing the Holocaust or something. And they he asked me to be the discussion leader for the class or something. And I loved it. And so I sort of realized that as much as I love being in school, because I would, if I could, you know, if I won the lottery tomorrow, I would keep teaching, of course, but I would also probably just go attend graduate classes, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, So that's just sort of, I don't know, that's just sort of the direction I went in. But I think something to keep in mind is that your interests and your passion can change in your life. Um, Sort of jumping into this world religions, I never thought, you know, I sort of thought I'd be a, you know, government teacher for the rest of my life. But circumstances change, and in a way, it was a blessing. Um, it was a blessing because I got to you know, expand my horizons beyond. Um, I mean, and I still, you know, I still love talking about politics. I still watch cable news networks, and but it's good to to not just be in one lane, you know, switch lanes sometimes. And I think it's important to realize that, like, that maybe that small discussion that you had senior year totally yes. might have changed the whole direction right. of your path, which I think is great right. because I think a lot of us, especially here at Ransom, can be very set yeah. and, like, concrete on what we want to do. Right. And, like, we have this path of what college and which major we all right. want to do, but that can change, like, at the drop of the hat. It's so true. You could have one teacher who asks you to do something, to, you know, step out of the box and do this. And then it can change the whole trajectory of your college. Um, and isn't that fantastic? Right? And going back to when you were talking about origins of your story and how your parents and you had frequent discussions on politics, I think that I would like to see more engagement between parents and their kids about politics, especially mm-hmm. now because of just how heated it is. And I, and I think that if I didn't have parents who actively talked about the news you know me and my dad listen to the news every day on the way to school um I would just feel so confused and I I was wondering what your plans are for your daughter in terms of her upbringings as someone at least who's like a good citizen who understands true information well it's already started I mean she's only seven years old um but she's already aware of certain things so for example we live in Brickell and I have a view of I-95 and last summer was the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. And at one point, you know, the highway was blocked, right? 
And she's like, what's going on? What's going on? You know, we could see police cars. And so it's already starting. And when I, you know, tried to explain to her what people were protesting, um, she was, first of all, she was confused, right? She's like, I don't understand. Why would some white policemen not like some black people? I don't understand. I don't get it. Um, and actually having that discussion with her made me realize Number one, her innocence, and number two, how ridiculous adults can be sometimes, you know? She's like, I still don't understand why, just because his skin is darker, he'd be treated differently. I don't get it, you know? And it sort of brings you back to that, like, what is wrong with us, right? Like, what are what is wrong with adults sometimes? Um, so it's already starting. I mean, I'm already having... On a certain level, yeah. I can't, I don't want to expose her really to violence and terrible, terrible things sure. yet. <laughs> um, but I will, we will, we will always have discussions. Um, she was involved in the yeah. Women's March. I mean, yeah, that's a great place to like get the Women's March, young, you know, like yeah. supporting women. Yeah. And as like, like me and Annika are both pretty online, I'd say, um, and so we've definitely, I mean, I won't speak for Monica, but I, I'm sure she can agree that we've exposed ourselves to some very horrible things mm -hmm. um, just from being like on Twitter, on Instagram. Right. So I think it's like nostalgic to hear about a seven-year-old because I know that that was me at one point and I didn't really have the knowledge of like what I'd be getting into when I, when I got social media mm -hmm. to, as to like what I'd eventually see. And so I think your daughter's generation or like micro generation because I'm assuming she's like kind of the same as me and Annika right. is going to have like a new upbringing to social media. I was thinking mm -hmm. about this when I have kids. I think that I would want to give them way later, like social media way later than when that. I got it because I got social media when I was well over 13 maybe. Right. That's and when most kids I think yeah, get themselves. Yeah. 13, and I felt like I was on the late side to be yeah, honest. me too. But I just realized as, as such a young person, the situations I got myself into on social media mm -hmm. were just so awful. Like, I've had some pretty bad experiences. Mm -hmm. I think it takes a certain level of maturity to to get. Like, I think that, like, if I could go back in time, I would get social media when I was, like, 18. I was just going to ask you, when should I get my daughter her a cell phone? I think, um, for, oh, cell phone? I think she that kind of depends because okay. I mean I got mine when I was in fifth grade but yeah. I think times were like very different right. but I have like a friend and her little brother who I think is in some theater and so I'm like he doesn't have an iPhone he has like a flip phone right which is like he probably he can take pictures on it exactly he can text his friends right. like text his parents when there's no internet exactly so he still has like the same things that all the other kids can right. do but just more of like a safer level and also it's just a lot less responsibility that you mm -hmm. have to think about at such a young age because social media is responsibility you know you always have to be making sure like your presence is like appropriate and right. you're not posting things that like you wouldn't want right. to come up years later and it's very difficult to think about your future right at 13 14 yeah. right. whatever years and old. if you're on social media and there are adults right you know, people can be mean too, right? You express your opinion and somebody disagrees with you and they call you a name or so I don't want to expose my daughter to that to like the last minute possible. 
But I definitely think it's a conversation that like you really have to have over time. Like my little brother, um, he's in seventh grade and he recently got Snapchat. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was kind of a decision with the whole family because my parents talked to me and they were like, you know, what were your experiences right. with Snapchat? Like, what do you think? I didn't get it until like halfway through eighth grade. Right. So I happen to feel a little bit like left out for not having it for so long. Right. But I definitely do think that there are like ramifications for having it too early. Right. So I think it's really just a decision between you and right. your daughter and where you think she is at a maturity level. Right. I'm just glad we're not there yet. (laughs) And also, in addition to obvious the violence that might experience, like people experience on social media, I think one of my biggest regrets for getting social media so young is just how embarrassing I was and how accessible that is to other people. Like, obviously, old Instagram posts I've taken down, people can't see, like, old Snapchats I might have posted. Um, But it's certainly a weird experience to see. Like, on Snapchat, you can see your flashbacks right. so whatever you posted or saved two years ago today right. or four years ago today and so when I look at those I get just like really weirded out with myself like mm-hmm. I felt like giving a like a puppy a phone or a toddler a phone like I don't know kids shouldn't and don't know what to do yeah. with something like at like social that's media so that's powerful. so accessible <laughs> thank you no I think it's true I mean it's different than than someone you know with me, something that I posted five years ago, I, I'm not going to be embarrassed about, you know, yeah. it's, it's my daughter. It's, you know, when you're an adult, it's time to know what that, you know, what that border, that border is. Yeah. And maybe, okay, on a later note, um, when I first got social media, I was also going through beauty guru phase because at the time, you know, 2016, people were wearing very heavy makeup and mm-hmm. people like James Charles were starting to come up. So I have a lot of pictures and Annika has seen a few. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously the podcast can't see it. Right. But, um, oh, my God. I this have the most the James Charles eyebrows. <laughs> on, like, and a 12-year-old. My, my, <laughs> my niece got into that, I think. So, yeah, it's, yeah, it's been pretty – it's, like, a pretty hard thing to deal with now. Like, looking back at the pictures and seeing, like, a 12-year-old right. wearing a full face of makeup. It, and it was just, like, more than it being, like, whatever, like, 12-year-olds shouldn't right. be wearing that much makeup. No. It's just – it was really bad. You weren't the only one. Oh, totally yeah, not. It was like a whole. All my yeah. friends, like, I don't know if Annika, Annika didn't really go through, like, a phase, but she was certainly alive at the time, so I don't know. Yeah. I always wonder what my life would be like if I didn't get social media at yeah. all. Um, me and Annika are really talking about this, too. Like, I went on, on vacation to Costa Rica when I was eight, and um, I didn't have a phone. And I just remember how, like, special that is looking back now because I realize that now every vacation I'm going to go on, um, social media is probably going to be at the forefront of it because I'll be taking pictures, I'll probably yeah. post stuff. Um, but that, like, adds a level of stress. I'll tell you, as someone who grew up without social media, I mean, the internet, like, really came up to be when I was in high school, but it was very slow and, you know, wasn't really till college. It is very freeing when I think about my childhood and you know my high school experience that not every single moment of every you know was documented and that's liberating right to not have to worry to not have to think about you know so I just I feel almost a little bit a little bit sad for your generation in that sense that like you have to always worry about that, right? It's a little bit less less freedom, more responsibility. 
Um, at the same time, you can, it's much easier to keep your memory. Yeah, I guess in closing, yeah. um, we'll definitely see more of this Instagram stuff, especially with the recent Facebook whistleblowers. Yeah. So I think hopefully crossing my fingers that we get to see some changes in yeah. how um, social media, particularly Instagram, affects like teenagers, especially yeah. teen girls. So hopefully we'll start to see some changes. But yeah. Ms. Bloomfield, thank you yeah, so thank much you for joining so us. This was we fun. love talking with you. <laughs> and uh, Thank you, Raiders, for listening in, and we'll catch you next time.